Welcome to the Retro Spectacle Podcast, episode five on privacy on the internet and net neutrality. I'm sure we'll delve into other topics as well. Uh, you're here tonight with your hosts, Jason Evans and David Biggs. Hope you guys have a wonderful evening with us. Well, we're here tonight to talk about internet privacy, um, but first of all, Dave, we have to ask always the most important question. What are you drinking this evening? Well, you brought me this interesting beer. It's called the Rustaller 1881 Sacramento California Red Ale, which uh, has this really cool, uh, what do you call that, burlap? burlap, yeah. This little burlap sack on the top, kind of like some whiskeys that I've had before. Yeah. And it's a, I guess like a barley beer. Huh, okay. I'll be finished with my beer in a minute. I can try some of it as well. I feel like you're not really familiar with this. You just kind of grabbed it because it looked cool. I gotta be honest, dude. It looked cool, and it was on sale. Gotcha. Well, it's uh, a mild caramel sweetness gives way to a fresh pine and grapefruit citrus note. So it kind of sounds like a barley wine, maybe. Yeah, uh, I can get behind that. Okay. Well, I can get uh, I can get behind that as well. I haven't tried it yet because there's quite a bit ahead here, but I'm going to do my best. Yeah, that beer uh, must have been in a paint shaker or something beforehand. Uh, so I'm drinking the Firestone Easy Jack IPA from Firestone Walker Brewing Company. Um, I am a big fan of this uh, brewery at this point. They make a bunch of different beers in cans now, and they have uh, lots of IPAs and just different varieties of IPAs. Not just like your standard IPA and your double IPA. There's just different ones. It's great. Uh, so, I'm enjoying mine. Cheers, Dave. Cheers. Good evening. Happy Tuesday. Let's uh, talk about the subject at hand, I suppose, which is what for this evening? Uh, so, internet privacy. Uh, so, I've been really kind of peaked uh, with all the internet privacy news going on, all the different things uh, going on through it. And so, we're going to talk about... Um, you know, a bunch of different topics within it tonight and try and just talk about some of the issues, some of like what it actually is uh, to try and maybe educate a few people who don't know much about it. Uh, we probably know more than the average person, but we're by no means, you know, experts. Uh, so internet privacy is about the collection of personal data across various electronic devices and websites. So, uh, you know, basically anything that you do on a phone or on a computer is... Uh, using your personal data in some way and that it may be vulnerable or it may not be. Maybe you have good protection. Anyways, um, you can split the information gathered into two different categories. So there's information that can identify you and information that can't. Uh, so the former group, and information that can identify you, is anything that can be collected uh, and used to identify you specifically. Probably the majority of information that's being collected, right? Um, and then the latter group, the non-specific identity, uh, Non, non-specific identity information uh, is just kind of general information about your browsing habits, maybe. And we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, but it's not something that can be used to identify you as a person. It's generally used more for information for companies to either you know make their product better or to just improve the companies on their own or to help you know people as well. Um, so you know the first thing we want to look at is how companies actually track you online. 
right? So Dave, um, you're, I don't know, you're pretty good at computers. <laughs> That's an understatement. Anyways, the the cookie is something that browsers use a lot, uh, that websites will use. It'll store a little bit of information on your computer, and it'll keep your uh, browsing habits from that website, you know, keep settings from that website uh, saved. So what is actually used in a cookie to... Uh, I shouldn't say used in it, but like, what what's a good example of a website that would use a cookie and why they would use it? Uh, as you said, so it's sort of like a saved game. If you're playing a game and you get to level five and you turn it off, if you've saved it already, you go back to that game and you're back in uh, level five when you continue. Uh-huh. Same sort of thing on any website where there are any kind of settings like you brought up earlier. So you set a theme or you set your options or you set that you want to be logged into that website every time you go there. Um, and that information is saved on this cookie that, like you mentioned, is in a file on your computer. And it's not inherently a bad thing, nor is any of this, I, I don't think that we're going to talk about this evening. It's just one of those things that makes it easier for you and everybody else. But right. the way that people are using them could perhaps be perceived in a negative uh, connotation. Sure. So one of the things that it, that they'll do is save your your searching data. So uh, websites like Google or Yahoo, uh, they know who you are because they know who's logging into their site. Whether you're logging in with a Google account or you're just there based on your IP address, um, which is you know a unique number that identifies you on the internet somewhere. Uh, so they'll save that data and they'll know what you search for, you know, on a regular basis. They'll know what your searching habits are. Over a long enough time, they can uh, sort of identify what kind of person you are, what your interests are, and stuff like that. So uh, companies like Google do use that, uh, and they use it in a way that benefits both parties, I think. They use it to benefit themselves, obviously, because they're a company. They need to make money. But they also use it to benefit the end users. Uh, an example today was a guy I was working with. He said that you know he has his phone set up so that he gets traffic reports on the way to work, on the way home from work, and they'll give him, you know, the best route. So if there's several different options to choose from uh, on the way to work, and it's usually like a five minute difference, it'll pick the one with the least amount of traffic every morning. He can just get up and it'll already be telling him what to do. And you wouldn't be able to do that unless you were granting Google the use of all this tracking information. So that is one way that they can, Take all of your information, which is beneficial to them, and use it to benefit you as well. Um, so finally, one of the very common places now that people have their information tracked is through social media sites. So Twitter, uh, Facebook, Facebook especially, I'm sure, uh, all those kind of sites, Instagram, Pinterest, they will keep track of everything that you put up there. The, built into the user agreements, you are allowing them access and almost ownership of anything that you post up there so that... They can use it uh, to advertise to you. They can use it to sell advertising data, to sell uh, demographics information. Like we know that uh, women aged uh, 18 to 22 like this movie the most and like this book the most. Uh, stuff like that, that people are voluntarily giving all that information out. These companies can just collect all that information and you know, basically just analyze it for a million different things. And it's beneficial to them. And they're able to make money off of that and then provide you that free product, you know, Facebook or whatever website you're using. So these are basically just, just leads. 
Uh, sales has always been this way, right? Now they're just selling information, uh, but it has been the case in the past as well. So say you enter a, a giveaway um, and what they're trying to do to attract your attention is here's this feature, here's this thing, here's this reward, here's something we can give you. You just have to fill out this piece of paper with five different things about yourself and you know a, a multiple choice question about your vacation habits. And then they have all this information. They can take that information and use it later to sell you something or for marketing purposes or to give a certain direction to a certain region, anything like that. And it's sort of the same way. It was on paper, now it's digital, so you see more of it and, and more quickly. There's a lot more available, too. Yeah, and I guess what happens is you have a company, for example, like Google that that knows based on analytics or or whatever what your IP address is or who you are if you're signed into your Chrome account. Um, And then you have other things that are sometimes being connected to that. And once you have multiple things being connected, then they can draw this bigger picture of, of you and all of these different companies have different pieces of information that are being sold uh, to them by however you're getting to this website on the internet. And then some of those companies sell your information, some of them don't, some of them compile it, some of them give it to law enforcement. There's all sorts of different uh, animals there. Yeah, and there are companies out there that exist purely to gather this information from multiple sources and then take a much more complete version of it and sell it uh, to you know, whoever is buying, I suppose. Sure. Uh, so we, we talked about a couple of the bits of usefulness of um, what it's actually used for. So we talked about some online retailers. They're going to track everything that you buy. So think about Amazon. They know what your entire order history is. They know everything that you searched for on their website. So when you go to their website, they're going to suggest uh, you browse for this. You know, maybe you want to buy this or uh, one of the really handy things is that they can compile all this data based on what you like and what you've bought and compare that with what everyone else who's bought similar things has, and they can provide all these suggestions. People who like this also like this. That's something that happens all over the place. Pandora does that, and that's that doesn't even feel like something that would uh, feel like a website that's tracking you. Well, and again, it, it's good to separate being like paranoid about giving your information up to, as we said earlier, things that are beneficial for everybody. Obviously, in a lot of these cases, in Amazon and Pandora's case, you are giving them information about yourself. Right. But they're also, that is helping you and giving you a a beneficial experience. Sure. And I mean, you know, when you think about it, you know, these two companies can combine forces and maybe they do behind the scenes. Pandora can uh, let Amazon put ads on your page uh, you know, Pandora can tell you what can tell Amazon what music you like, and then Amazon can advertise that music to you to to buy it from them, and vice versa. They can Pandora can put targeted ads on their uh, on their feed for you based on your browsing habits from Amazon. Okay, that's assuming that the companies were to work together explicitly. Uh, but I don't know. It's it's kind of interesting how all this stuff can just kind of work together. Uh, <clears throat> So sites that take the browsing data that they've collected, they use it to target to you directly. So one of the places that this is really done all the time is Google Ads. Google knows all the things that you search for if you are logged in your Google account all the time, which I would assume a lot of people are at this point. I don't know what the percentage of like regular internet users are, but anyone with an Android phone uses their Google account all the time. Uh, anyways, they'll have 
ads that are targeted directly at you. There'll be ads, uh, we're sitting next to each other, we're on the same IP address, but we could pull up the same website and you'd get completely different ads than I would be, just because we look at different things on our computer. Sure. Uh, so uh, a lot of places are going to use this to your benefit in small ways, but ways that you can tell. Uh, so you know, don't all, like, like Dave was saying, don't just think that it's all bad, that it's all being used against you, that it's just, uh, being taken from you and they're profiting off of it and you're not getting anything from it. You're exchanging all of this information for services, essentially. And in some cases, goods, you answer surveys and you get money on Google, right? You, you've done that before? The Google surveys? Well, sure. And it's not Google. Again, I mean, think this is digital because that's what we're talking about. But heck, I've done surveys for many different companies in Chicago and the surrounding suburbs here uh, just for extra $100. And that's what they want is they want information from you. They have your name. They have your demographic information. They have what you like. And that's what they're looking for. They pass it on to the company and the company uses that for good or for evil. Generally, for good for the company, because that's all anybody that's what really... companies are doing things for. Well, that's all anybody really wants is better things for them, right? Right, right. So, you can't yes. blame them. Right. So it's the same thing for Google, of course. If they have access to all this information, then they grab it. And there are ways to, uh, to I'm sure we'll talk about, to, to block that or even to turn off options on your Google account or your Facebook account or whatever it is that's taking information from you. So if you're interested in trying to prevent that from happening that's certainly a possibility sure just like uh, the example i was giving earlier with giving you traffic info like when you go to work and when you come home from work you can just tell google don't pay attention to my location don't tell me this and then i'm not exactly sure if they're going to keep tracking you but they certainly won't be interrupting you anymore and certainly won't be pulling that information from you but they may find their own ways of figuring it out well, you can always see based on other programs, and this is the more technically inclined people, but you can install certain programs that let you see exactly where all the data packets that are being sent to and from your computer are going. And so you can tell if someone is looking at your information, if it's going somewhere, and you can even block that out. There are a lot of websites, though, that don't even let you visit the website unless you allow them to, uh, to receive packets from you. And that makes sense because there are some websites that depend completely on these settings that we talked about earlier, like cookies. Right. And so if you're not giving them the correct amount of information or the things they need to serve you up the right kinds of pages... Then it won't even work, right? Then they just don't care about you because you're just one person, you know? If, if at some point every single person decided to block everything on the internet, well, then it would be a different ballgame. But just for example... And as I said, I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I am involved all the time in Google Analytics and in, in web analytics in general. If I'm on a website and I'm, uh, and I'm going to try to find information about what's happening there, for example, our website, drink5.com, I can see people's information. And that's not like their name and their number and their address, but I can see some information about them. And if... What used to happen is is every single person would, that would search for something in Google and it would pull up a website, that website would be able to see what it was they searched for to pull them up. Now, the majority of people are using browsers like Firefox or turning off that option in Google, which is on by default, but you can turn it off. 
Uh, other browsers as well are off uh, by default. So if someone searches for something and pulls you up, you can no longer see that. You can only see the information that they pulled up something via organic search and it comes up as not set, which means there is no uh, cookie, there's no data packet, nothing is sent to me. So, okay, so those are the people who have uh, essentially opted out of you know, the voluntary tracking. Which I would say is probably at this point like 70 to 80% of internet users. The ones that you've seen so far? So what's your opinion on collecting that data? Do you think that it's basically uh, hmm I wonder how to put this to not make it to make it seem uh, proper. Anyways, you know, people are collecting all kinds of data in terms of uh, you know, building a profile on people. Okay? And using that to sell to marketing companies. Now, are you okay with your stuff being used like that? Or would you prefer that, uh, you know, mostly everything that you're giving out is going to be of a direct benefit to you? Uh, again, I think, I think personally that, that having worked in a couple industries now, like for example, I work in a company in the publishing industry and all we do is try to run contests and attract people so that we can get their information so we can get leads because that's what salespeople want and what they work off of, right? So if you are running a contest, the whole point of the contest or running a, a webinar so that you're teaching someone something, okay. um, they're getting benefits out of both of those things, right? The mm -hmm. ability to win something or uh, education. Uh, just like going to college, when you go to college, you, you pay them, uh, but you also give them all your information, and they use that information as well. Oh, yeah, they sell it to all kinds of companies to sell things to you. So I, I don't have a problem with anything that we've spoken about so far, because if you are knowledgeably giving your information to someone, then you already know what's happening, and it's your decision whether or not you would like to continue on with it. Now, there, right. it could be said that maybe some of these uh, websites, for example, like Google or Yahoo or whatever, don't tell you or inform you well enough that they are taking that. But a lot of them really do. A lot of them tell you multiple times. A lot of them tell you all over the place uh, that they're taking your info. And in not so many words. Well, I guess in more words. <laughs> they use lots of words. Probably yes. lots of small words. They're called words. legal agreements. Uh, nowadays, they just put terms and conditions at the bottom, and they don't have to put all that big legalese, which was sort of a disaster for, for a while on the internet. You would go to fill in a contest or something, and it would be like three pages of, of <laughs> legal documents and text. I don't know why people decided they needed to do that, but now it's sort of it's better. It's like that South Park episode, though, right? If you don't read the terms and conditions, yeah, then yeah. who knows what could happen to you? You could because, wind up in a human sentai pad. Yeah, you don't know what's going to happen to you because you didn't read about it. You have no idea. I'm going to click do not agree. But, so, did you have a particular direction? Uh, in terms of, you know, what kind of data they're, you know. No, I mean, are you, are you pointing a question in a particular oh, way? Oh, well, I wanted to go back to our website uh, because we do have a website and we do look at certain bits of data that people are giving us or that we're able to collect whether or not they want to give it to us, you know, like uh, what kind of browser they're using. So that information is available for the most part, regardless of uh, whether or not you're using some kind of private browser, etc. Unless you're blocking the JavaScript that allows us to take a look at that information. I don't know why someone wouldn't would care about it personally. Because right, there's no personally identifying information in that. Yeah, so, so we can tell what kind of device you're using and what the resolution of that screen is and how you got there in a very broad sense if yeah. you're not offering us specific information. 
Um, we can see where you go on the website, where you go from page to page, how long you spent on those pages, whether you just uh, went to one page and left or you went to several. And you can even make it so that you can find out how long someone watched a video for or were they uh, able to say you're on a form and that form is uh, filling out a subscription for a newsletter. You can find out what field they drop off of. So like oh, okay. there's six fields and they fill out the first three, but they drop off a of four, which is their email address. So there's a lot of information we can get from that. Now there is another new um, Google analytics tracking code that also includes the ability to see demographic information and that information includes more like age and race and address and that that's kind of stuff comes from when you fill in things automatically on the browser uh-huh um, anything you give the browser the browser can then give to other companies and i don't think it gives your specific address information although i do think it will include uh perhaps like city and state and, and that sort of thing yep. but but you can get that also in again a broader sense just from the regular analytics so we do know a lot about people that come to our website but we can't specifically individually identify them and reach out to them because we don't get email addresses or ip addresses Right. There's no real leads being generated there. Mostly what that data is for then is for us to be able to tailor the website to our visitors. We can say, wow, a lot of people are logging on mobile now. We need to make sure that the website is more mobile friendly. And that's what happened a couple of years ago. Yeah, that, that sort of trend is what most people are looking at unless they're a company that's trying to sell things specifically to people. And then right. they're trying to look for more info. So, and I well, mean, if we could figure out something to sell to the people, I'd be all for it. <laughs> so... I mean, you can find the IP addresses of people that come to our website from our server statistics because that's just, um, you know, hardcore. Yeah, uh, you have to tell me who you are if you want me to connect to you. Right, exactly. But again, that's not a bad thing necessarily for me to know an IP address right. that, that went to my website because I still don't really know you. I'm not, I'm, I'm not using that for malicious purposes or anything like that. All I would need, all, I mean, all I would get out of that IP address is probably... Um, where it is sort of yeah you can do like a domain lookup on it and that's about it yeah so is there a reasonable expectation of privacy on the internet if you ask people what privacy was 20 years ago and you ask them what it is today um do you think that it's a vastly different answer or do you think that you know people still assume that their things are private on the internet so it's hard to compare things that happened 20 years ago to today because 20 years ago is uh, 1995. Right. And 1995 was the very beginnings of the internet. I That was why I went back to that. Recently, time. today, I went and looked up... Uh, are you familiar with the Wayback Machine? Yes, I am. I like that website. Yeah, so I, I looked up June 1997 Best Buy and just wanted to see what the website looked like. I sometimes do that, uh, you know, just to send out a link or to get a kick out of it because those websites all look like they were, you know, made in GeoCities with really crappy graphics and flashing and flashing banners. text and frames everywhere and so it it's a very difficult for me to to look at but the the point of that being back then it was sort of just the wild west so there wasn't a lot of of this going on but there still was i mean there were um, always things that could track even back then in 1995 so, well, the very nature of making that connection, like you had to at least be giving some information so that you could be identified on the network. Yeah, and that's always the case. Right. But 
So are we talking about like internet then and internet now or like uh, internet versus other sorts of... I would say now. Like, is is there a reasonable expectation of privacy now? Are people thinking there is and there isn't? Or do people just sort of assume that it's all gone already? So what's, what's privacy to you? Can you define it for me? Um, privacy... Because if you go somewhere, like we said, then you've gone somewhere and, and your footprints are in that place. Right. I mean, so you can go like on Google and go to incognito mode, but incognito mode doesn't mean that someone can't see your information. It means that... that, uh, that it means that locally things aren't saved. Uh, yes. And, and, and it disables certain like cookies and stuff like that. Right, exactly. But it doesn't mean that, that they're not still able to track where you're going on their website, etc. So the basic things right. that I was talking about earlier that are helpful to webmasters, those still apply to those people. So what is privacy? What, what sort of expectation would people have? I mean, you got to give me something to work off of here. So what, um, so say, say you, uh, I would say that what people expect to be private is everything that they haven't explicitly given away. So if I'm filling out information on a form to a website, that's fine. But I would say that, you know, if I'm not explicitly giving things away, like if the website decides to go into the browser and pull saved form data from a different website, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm okay with that. Well, that doesn't exactly happen. That's not how it happens. It's more of a, like, so the save data it can pull isn't something from another cookie on the computer. It would just be something that the browser has. Yeah, so so there's different ways that you can let yourself open to uh, to all of that information. But you're not, you're not exactly wrong. It, it, it's more about, uh, let me put it this way. When you go to a website, let's say you're going to, like, um, uh, a dating website like Match.com or OkCupid or something. In the background of that website is going to be like forty, you know, different companies that have are working with that company that are in the background tracking that information. Yeah. And so some companies uh, have deals with Match.com, let's say, to to take some information based on your demographics, and some might have uh, uh, information based on your interests, and some might have all of those things, and some might have uh, they might want to know, like, um, do you smoke or do you drink alcohol? or And they can all take that info because Match.com lets them. Because you let them because it's because in the terms and conditions. It. Yeah, you agree to it. So privacy, yes, I think it probably should be a little bit better known when you go to the website that you are sort of letting this information out. Yeah. But it's one of those things, you know, the more... As from a business perspective, the more that you become transparent about that, the less people might come to the website. And I understand that that might sound like a bad thing, but it's always been that way in business. Whenever right. they do anything, it's for their purposes, not your purposes. This is true. That's what capitalism is. So it's never been anything different from the way it currently is. But if you go to a website and, and suddenly there's 30 companies that have your information now on a list, you may not be expecting that. Right. But what I would say is privacy, in my definition, I guess, would be, okay, so so if you're meeting someone for the first time, there are certain things that you might allow that person to know about you based on your conversation you have with them. Okay. And there's certain things that you don't. Like, you don't just give people your social security number after you hand, give them a handshake. 
Right. And you don't let them know, you know, uh, like what your search history is and what people <laughs> what people you contact and who your friends are on Facebook. Right. Like those what are your email addresses. Those are things you might tell them or or might become available to them later based on the level of your friendship with that person. Uh-huh. Um, so sometimes it's that way with websites where they sort of ask you a question, ask you a question, ask you a question. Once you've gotten to know them better, they're suddenly, they know everything about you. Um, but there are some websites that you could go to, like I mentioned, like the match.com thing. And don't quote me on that particular website. I'm just thinking that that's probably one of the ones that does sell a lot of info. Right. Um, so they are taking as much as they can, as soon as they can, whenever they can, uh, telling you the least amount of information that they can. So... I don't know. Do you consider that malicious? Do you consider that capitalist? Do you, um, do you consider that... It's probably unfair to just outright label it malicious because, like you said, at some point you have to click on a user agreement and say, yes, okay, I want to do that. The problem is there aren't many alternatives. You know, you can't be like, no, don't collect any of my data. I'll give you $5 instead. Well, yeah, perhaps. But I mean, it's like any business, right? You have to abide by their rules, or else you don't. Do or else you with don't. Them. Right, you don't do business with them. And like, for example, Google search engine, it will grab a lot of stuff from you because that's what Google is built on—is selling information, your information. But right. there are search engines like, uh, like, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, DuckDuckGo. Duck, 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 yeah. Uh, who doesn't save any information from their searches, so you can use that and feel comfortable um, by not having any of that. Saved on your IP address or your username or whatever other information you might have in However, the browser. However, it may link to you, yeah. Right, and there's email programs that that don't save information, and there's uh, ways to chat that don't save any information. There's all sorts of things like that. Uh, but you're right; those alternatives are generally not very widely used and widely known about because they're not as good. This is true. You know, the, when you can monetize it, it makes a lot. It's a lot uh, easier to yeah, make The money. service gets better. It gets more colorful. People use it because yeah. they like it because it's better and more colorful. I think people have an expectation of what should be free on the internet. And that answer tends to be everything. They always think everything should be free on the internet. They don't realize that they're trading away something to get all that stuff. So it, you run into problems where people aren't going to be aware that they're giving up parts of their privacy voluntarily, even though they don't realize it. You know, in exchange for whatever product or service that they're really like looking for. So, in that case, I mean, are you blaming the person because they didn't read the terms and conditions? Are you blaming society because they it's turned into this information both, gathering? I would say that both parties, the company and the person, uh, are you know the company isn't being maybe as straightforward as they could be, and the people aren't doing any of the digging that they need to do now whether you know people aren't doing the digging because the company because they trust the companies you know when they maybe shouldn't that's up for debate but you can't just blame one side in that so what's the bad part about this information being taken from someone so say you're on a couple lists now and, and some things are linked together so you have your credit card which you've inserted into uh uh, again, let's just go back to um, whatever website. So you're on Amazon. You have your credit card information on Amazon. Yeah. And then you are logged into your Google account um, and you're logged into your Amazon account. And, um, you, and you visit match.com. Well, whatever. <laughs> so so all of that information is, uh, is able to be grasped by different parties in different amounts. So Google can see pretty much all of it. 
and Amazon can see a lot of it and whatever the other businesses might share with Amazon it. Amazon casts a very wide net and they get everything in there. Plus, don't forget, Amazon runs just farms and farms of servers that a large portion of the internet runs on. Sure. Uh, so, so they're going to have all that information as well just from uh, having served those websites. Like we said earlier, you actually get better information then sometimes because you're running the website. So you know... Yeah, the, they get better than analytics. You know the hardware that's actually visiting, uh, visiting there. Uh, well, there's certain things you get, certain things you don't. But so what I'm asking is, say Amazon has this info from you about your credit card information and your purchase history. Uh-huh. And uh, so what... We already talked a little bit about what they do with that. So is there an example you can think of that might end up being a bad thing? Or is it just not good that people don't know that other people have this information about them? I mean, do you think in this day and age people are surprised when Amazon presents you with options what you'd probably like to purchase? Um, no, and stuff like that. Like we said, it makes sense. But Or Google okay, ads that so are things that you've been there's to. There's a couple things that come to mind. First of all, if all this is being created, then it... It, it suddenly exists somewhere in a profile that once upon a time was only inside your head. This leaves it vulnerable, for one. You know, someone could steal all this information, which I believe has happened many times. Like, look at Sony in uh, Home Depot and Target all getting hacked. You know, that's not just credit cards that they're stealing. They're stealing everybody's uh, personal information that go along with that credit card. Yeah, well, in some cases, uh, in a lot of those cases, it is just the credit card information that's being stolen. Okay, well, for instance, uh, my health insurance company recently got hacked. There's no credit card information there, but they did it only for personal information. And if the person out there that stole Jason's uh, health care information is listening, if they please could return give it, it please, please give it back. Yes, yeah. contact me <laughs> at you already know my email address. There you go. Uh, so, so how does that make you feel? I mean, that's a separate issue, sort of. That's that's right. But the fact that this is all being collected uh, leaves that makes that an issue. You know, well, digital age problems, digital problems that yes, you didn't it's have. It's a first world problem. And these, totally. uh, yeah, and these old problems that, like, if if your social security information was somewhere on a piece of paper, it would have to be stolen. The actual physical piece of paper with your information. True. And uh, a thief is probably not going to like break into the bank to not steal money, but actually your information in a binder. Yeah. Well, there could always be things that are embarrassing. But now, and, and to your point, now theft of this sort of thing is more about the personal information than it is about actual money because it gets to that. Because right. now people can run scams and things. They could take your email address or they could steal your phone, text your friends and say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in jail. Uh, can you help me? Can you wire me $100 you know, to this email or something? And there's scams like that all the time. Uh, and and fishers and hackers and and that never existed before sure um but but it is a little bit different from what we were talking about earlier right you're just saying because your information exists out there now if you do put your credit cards into amazon and amazon gets hacked then suddenly it's sort of your fault for putting it there um well, it's their fault for letting their stuff get hacked, I think. But it's their responsibility to keep it safe. But all they're going to do is is tell you that it was hacked and give you a $20 Amazon <laughs> gift card. Well, they're going to the way that they remedy the problem is their own business. All they need to do to remedy the problem is uh, to basically tell people, "Okay, this is the minimum that we're going to give you uh, without losing too many customers." Uh, so anyways, I want to get back to what you were saying could be some of the bad things. So say you have a family computer. This may be an antiquated uh, concept at this point. 
But, you know, if you're searching for something on the family computer, maybe, uh, you know, you search for something like you have a disease. You are really worried that you have cancer, but you don't want to tell anybody yet. You know, you start searching for that stuff all night long. Pretty soon, all the ads on the computer are going to be about cancer. They're going to be about lung cancer, whatever the heck you were searching for. You know, like it's it's very targeted in a way that uh, doesn't necessarily only target you. You know, it could take your information and accidentally target someone else because someone's using your devices. Yeah, so so family computer may be a little antiquated. Um, <laughs> I think most people have their own devices now, but but it could it could not be true. Like you could be at work, for example, and and just like browsing around, sort of on Facebook or whatever, and something could come up that you yourself searched for on your own time or with your own account yeah. that you happen to be logged into. But that's sort of well, like if your kids are using your computer, yeah. But that's sort of your fault for not like understanding that that's how it works that's like leaving your own dirty but, magazine around on the floor but, and your child sees it you know i mean that's something you did you can opt out of that in google you could not sign into the account you could browse privately i mean there's there are a lot of alternatives to that but yeah, but you're right i, I don't mean, know that it's as well known as it as it should be well that that's something people know that people know that they can close their closet door that they can lock their door that they can keep their kids out the the common knowledge of security in a house is very widespread the common knowledge of security on a computer is very limited yeah but i think again you're talking about like a generational gap and people that are sort of older that don't really know how to do these things it's like telling your parents how to put an image on facebook it's a little different it's uh it's it's about people that aren't familiar with that and how it works, isn't it? Like I understand that that works that way. And the people that grow up using tablets know all of that already. I I don't know about that. Absolutely they do. Those those people know more than a lot of my coworkers and my coworkers are in, you know, the internet business. I mean, that's people grow up now with technology in their hands. So they they intrinsically understand a lot more than, than some of us who, who didn't. I mean, I, for example, I'm uh, in my 30s, right? So when I was younger, we had like Commodore 64s and Atari STs who could barely be considered computers by today's standards, where you play a game and you have to constantly like insert and eject the floppy to get to the next level. No one that I know that's, you know, let's say 20 or under could even grasp the concept of having a game that's split over six CDs. But I'm sure that you played one of those, right? Oh, yeah, of course. So these are just concepts that people are familiar with or they're not. And, uh, and I, I personally, I don't see a problem with it um, because they, they sort of tell you that that's happening. But I do understand that there are people out there, and I'm not trying to wipe them under you know, the cover or anything. There are people that aren't going to get it. And, like, for example, at my work, um, there was someone who was... Um, an advertiser with our company and they went to the website to look for their ad and they took a screenshot and they were wondering why there was an ad for for women's dresses on their screen right okay and it was a google ad when it's it was AdSense supposed to be ad. their ad no it's it's just an, there was additionally an adsense okay. ad on the screen and so i had to explain to them that you know that must have been in that computer's browsing history and surely this guy could have been looking up something for his wife or whatever. 
But he could also be a cross-dresser. He could be hiding things from people. <laughs> exactly. But see, that's that's not really my problem. I, I'm not saying it is your problem, but uh, you know, I was just bringing up where these could interfere with your life. Yeah, I, people don't always think about. I have to cover my tracks on everything I do. I guess, but I mean, say you're on a work computer, for example, and someone sees that. Well, I mean, if you're on your work oh, computer, yeah. I mean, looking if you're up on your that work stuff, computer, you need to you need to not be, be doing that. Yeah, you need to be smarter. <laughs> So maybe those people, that's just Darwin. Well, the fact that the guy it? was like, what's that ad doing there? Hmm. Yeah, exactly. When everyone else would have just not thought about it. <laughs> why Why do condoms keep appearing on my Facebook feed? <laughs> it's like, what are you looking up, man? So I don't know. I mean, the, the problem, I guess, can come when you, like, say you're downloading Chrome um, and you have Chrome for your work computer and you log in with your actual user account. Well, that information can, uh, it can then sort of be, um, it can be translated uh, to that new computer. Right. And we didn't really realize maybe ahead of time that you've signed into your Google account because all you wanted to do was check your Gmail. So then I can see there being sorts, uh, sort of a problem. It could be an issue. But again, like, you know, you need to be take, you need to take responsibility when you're on a work computer when you're doing something so like that. So don't you always, you have to be aware of what's happening. Like you shouldn't use something if you don't know how it works, shouldn't, Right. Yeah, but that would limit, you know, I mean, you have to learn somehow. Yeah. Most people learn by doing. Well, there you go. So so whoever it was, that, that guy learned, you know, uh, some other people learned based on uh, stuff that showed up on their feeds, I guess. Um, I don't know. It's like when I'm 13 years old and using my family computer, which again, is probably not a thing that people do. Uh, if I was doing something uncouth, I'm sure I deleted the history on the computer. <laughs> but other people might not have done that sort of thing. I mean, you got to learn by doing, right? As you said. Yeah. Uh, so we want to talk about, I want to talk about at least, uh, the idea of net neutrality, which is something that's been in the news a lot. Um, there's been a recent FCC ruling uh, regarding the matter. It's been a hot thing in you know Washington for the last couple of years. They've been wanting to pass laws sort of identifying uh, what the real role of internet providers are in our life, so to speak. They want to talk about how, uh, like, the the proponents of net neutrality uh, for the common people, if you will, wanted the internet to be, broadband internet in particular, to be uh, categorized as a utility. This way, it can be regulated in certain ways by the government, and it can't be... uh, abused by the companies that own it in, in, you know, it can't be completely abused. Uh, anyways, so, um, you know, net neutrality is kind of the idea that the internet should be equal regardless of the source, the users, the site, the platform, the devices, the modes of transmission. Uh, so for example, peer to peer transmissions commonly used in BitTorrents uh, should be treated the same, you know, as your grandma looking up recipes and as your cousin playing games on the Xbox, all internet traffic should be treated the same. It shouldn't be given special priority because someone pays more money for it. Uh, the whole idea of the internet, the reason why it works so well is <clears throat> that, you know, it, it's free and equal for everyone to use equally. Uh, so service providers, they want to be able to charge for places like Netflix, uh, you know, so that they can make more money. They want to charge Netflix more money not even more money. They want to just come up with a fake charge essentially and say, all right, you're going to pay me X million numbers of dollars every 
year and I'm not going to slow down Netflix for you know our customers. So Comcast actually did that uh, back in 2014, in early 2014. So Netflix and Comcast reach a deal and Comcast was going to improve the quality of service to its customers. You know, people who had Comcast internet who were using Netflix. The speed at which Comcast would connect you to Netflix had dropped 25% over the course of a year. So basically what they did was they made it crappier and then they said, all right, Netflix, pay us a bunch of money and we'll open the pipe back up. And Netflix was a giant company and they could afford to be squeezed like that. Um, And, you know, I mean, do you really feel sorry about a giant company getting squeezed? I don't know. Maybe not. But the fact is, you know, Netflix did that. Then they had to go pay uh, Verizon to do the same thing. So the idea behind net neutrality is that uh, companies won't be able to do that. They won't be able to say, uh, you have to pay us money, otherwise we're going to lower your speed. Uh, Or vice versa. You have to pay us money, otherwise you're just going to get the slowest connection to the internet that you can get. Uh, So, you know, that that would basically give you a tiered internet, which is similar to what, like, television is now. On television, there's free options, there's cable, and there's premium channels. And all of it costs a different amount of money. Some of it's free, some of it is very expensive. Uh, So, regarding net neutrality, there was a recent ruling by the FCC which ruled that broadband internet access is a utility. So, specifically, it's a telecommunications service, basically. Uh, Similar to the phone, and it's subject to the same act that all these other uh, things fall under. Uh, So ISPs are common carriers, they're called, uh, like the railroad, like post offices, like pipelines, like phone companies. Um, But it's not that they want to regulate it. So the FCC chairman says, uh, this is no more a plan to regulate the internet than the First Amendment is a plan to regulate free speech. They both stand for the same concept. Basically what it's saying is, uh, it's just providing a, a broad basis to uh, work the internet from, that everyone has to work from, just like free speech is uh, for people in real life, so to speak. Uh, So they just want rules in place to prevent it from becoming, you know, from other things taking it over. So, um, you know, Dave, have you read into net neutrality a lot? Do you, you, are you more on the side of it needs to be open and totally equal? Well, like like any sort of uh, of legislation, and this this comes from the FCC, right? Yes. So they aren't really able to actually pass laws, for example. So like you know, it's not something that comes from Congress; it's something that comes from FCC. So that has to sort of be ushered in by our legislation, right? Yes. Yeah. So I mean, well, the I- people who are in the FCC are there, and it's actually been challenged them saying uh, by congressmen saying you can't actually make a law based on this, right? But, you know, the FCC has to rule in a certain way for it to then move on. Well, whatever this is will eventually go to the court system to be decided because it has to, because that's what will happen. The, yeah, yeah. This will become a, a hot contested issue for a while. But, um, but so, so there's two sides to it, I guess. And you're talking about, like, pure for the people because we, we want all the pipes to be equally as big for everyone regardless of, of where they are and why they're, they're there. And, right. And, and there's also, like, sort, sort of towards business and being able to let business do things to make more money or less money. Especially since there's little practical reason not to allow it. Well, there's pros and cons. Are you familiar with the pros and cons for it? For using, for, you know, the... the 
Well, you talked about there being no restrictions on the parts of the internet that people could access and not being able to throttle internet usage. Those are all pros for net neutrality. But there are, of course, like every sort of uh, guidelines or rules that are introduced anywhere, uh, things that are also bad about it. Well, enlighten, enlighten everyone, including me. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot going on right now, so I, it's, it's hard to be sure that I'm completely up to date, but I, I have listened to a couple things in the past couple days uh, to try to get myself up to speed. Uh, and so um, the, the cons against new, neutra- net neutrality uh, would, would be monitoring. Um, so like It's easier to monitor the open internet? Yes. Yes. Um, uh, money so that uh, ISPs could charge more money for access to the internet, for example. Um, well, be- yeah. Because heavier users should probably pay more, right? Like, that's a thing. Uh, I know that I don't necessarily agree with that, but it makes sense. because It, it sounds like it would make sense, but in a, in a very logical, like, how much extra hardware do they actually need to have for the heavy users? Look, if someone, you know. if someone, if we're talking, this is a utility, and someone uses a whole bunch of electricity, they pay more. Period. Right, because there's a direct correlation to you need to spend, you need, you need to burn X number of pounds of coal to generate this much electricity. Yeah, I guess, but but, but there's, the internet there's all is always of, on. There's all kinds of different companies that that produce energy all kinds of different ways and charge for it differently. Uh, and however much you use at your house, it's charged differently. Yeah, but I know. I'm just saying it doesn't cost money to copy ones and zeros. Well, it depends what ISP you're on, how what those charges are. Like you know, Google Fiber is going to have different costs than a DSL line or a cable modem from Comcast. They all have associated costs. There's the the manpower that goes into building those lines. There's the lines themselves. There's the communication between other companies and. Uh, uh, you know how it's all opened up and how it's all put down. So yes, there are costs associated with the internet. Yes, the internet itself is a thing that's going to exist regardless. They're not going to turn off the internet uh, because well, yeah. <laughs> that may not be a possibility any longer. That's true. Unless someone has like a interstellar EMP that just knocks out Earth, which would Spoilers. be unfortunate. <laughs> I'm thinking more of nanobots from Revolution. Yeah, sure. But you know what I'm saying? There are associated costs with this. They do boil down to something. Right. But it, I'm not saying that people aren't going to be paying anything. But what I'm saying is the cost for a light user and a heavy user isn't really much different at all. Who cares what it is? I mean, how do you know that? What, give me facts that, that, that show that. Like if someone downloads 200 uh, terabytes per month and the other guy uses 10 gigabytes of information streaming music, it's a whole lot of different stuff there. Well, they're capping you at, you know, they're saying, okay, you are allowed uh, a 50 megabit connection. You know, so they're not going to allow you X amount. But when they say you're allowed a 50 megabit connection, you should, therefore, it would stand to reason that you would be able to download at 50 megabits for the entire duration of the month. But that's not going to happen. You know that's not going to happen. I know, but... It's the same thing as, as cell phone bills. Like, I have an unlimited internet connection, right? Uh, but some people don't. Some people will... You have an unlimited cell phone plan. You could talk on the phone for every minute of the day, and it wouldn't cost you any more. Correct. How is that much different? Because I pay for the unlimited, and some people pay for 200 minutes. So they pay less than me, but they only get 200 minutes. 
I, I pay for what I use because I pay for unlimited. Now, if they're offering unlimited plans to everyone, uh, that's fine. But but what if an unlimited plan is $80 a month and someone doesn't have that money? So they pay you know $30 for whatever it is that they use. Like I, I don't see how this is any different from any other service. If you're making it a utility, if you're making it a service, then they're going to have like uh, sort of tiers. It's not just going to be unlimited for everyone. Well, they have tiers already in the shape of how fast you're accessing the internet. Yeah, but there's caps. There's data caps on all of these services. Like net neutrality, if it passes, does not make it's suddenly... It's not going to remove data caps. Right. So so how does this affect anything? I, I don't know how we got <laughs> the topic of data caps yet. Well, because because we're talking about like uh, uh, being charged for the amount that you use, right? Right. Uh, so more money for access to the internet for, and, and also like some ISPs might charge more money than other ISPs just because they have uh, uh, different ways to access it or they offer more benefits or whatever. Yeah, and you know, to be honest, I don't necessarily have a problem with, uh, you know, me as an end user paying, having to pay X amount of money to access the internet in a specific, uh, you know, a specific quantity or speed. Okay. Like that makes sense to me. Uh, the part that I didn't like about what they wanted to use it for was saying to then an end user, you know, if you give us more money, you know, if you, the, cause we as our, as drink5.com, we don't have to pay. Uh, well we do, I guess we pay our server to be up every month. Uh-huh. But we don't pay Comcast to connect people to, you know, we don't pay Comcast so that Comcast doesn't block us from all their customers' internet package. You know what I'm saying? Uh, well, sure. But I mean, when you when you regulate something, when you call it like, uh, when it becomes like a, a utility or like television or like electricity, then you have problems because let's say that some of those problems become uh, people starting to add regulatory fees and other things, things get more expensive, things are associated with that, things, um, regulation is not necessarily always the solution. Um, in, in this case, I think that it may be better for net neutrality than against because it's more for the people than the companies. But I just am, am trying to express that there are also reasons that it may not be a great thing for people in the long run uh, because although it may be good for the short term, it could be one of those things where prices creep up and, and regulatory fees happen. And then, uh, you know, who knows? I mean, it could even go towards the way of, uh, of like censorship and things like that, because yeah. those regulations, they tend to stack up. They're like, you know, it's like a game of Jenga or something. Um, in, in, especially because if it becomes a bill, um, if it goes forward in, in legislation, then people tend to attach things to the ends of these bills that we don't find out about. That can happen. For that a couple happen. of years later. But I, I, you were talking about net neutrality, so pros being no restrictions or throttling or censorship and uh, a good amount of capitalism because a small company could battle with a large company because a large company can't team up with your... Uh, service service provider. provider to say, let's just screw the little guy uh, and make it so that we're faster. Exactly. Okay. So I, I get that. I understand that. But but just making sure that everyone's aware that there's there's not just you know happy and rainbows and unicorns like. Well, just like the everything that passes has dark sides. Right. Just it. like the initial discussion about data browsing habits and data collection. It, you know, it's all the same, but we, be. we do need to have these discussions. It's important that we are having the discussions. Sure, there are good legitimate uses for it. Now, something that um, it's much more questionable if there's good legitimate uses for. Um, 
is all the stuff that Edward Snowden uh, released a couple of years ago. And this has a lot to do with Internet security because it was revealed that um, the NSA, the National Security Agency, was basically cataloging uh, from nine different major service providers like uh, Verizon and Sprint and, uh, you know, the major phone companies like Comcast, the major uh, Internet providing companies. It was basically cataloging all of the data all the phone calls, all of the emails that everyone was doing in the entire, well, I guess most of the world, um, certainly outside of the world. And the whole idea at the beginning was that they were going to just monitor foreign uh, foreign targets, so to speak. Um, but then it sort of spilled over into domestic targets and seems to have spilled over entirely into, uh, you know, just everyday life. You know, the NSA can... You know, listen in on uh, all your emails, on your phone calls, and it's saving it. Uh, anyways, so Edward Snowden was a guy back in 2013 who leaked a series of documents, winding up being a, a huge treasure trove of uh, stuff that he had taken from the NSA and the CIA when he was an employed there and when he was a contractor uh, with Booz Allen Hamilton. Uh, so he leaked thousands and thousands of classified documents on various topics, uh, drone strikes, domestic and foreign surveillance, all kinds of stuff, like just the programs that they can use nowadays uh, where they take all this browsing information and basically just like completely identify you and track you in real time is um, at the same, you know, it it's both impressive and scary. So you watch Citizen Four, right? Yep. Now, were you surprised at all at the uh, ease at which uh, they explained how they could, you know, monitor you? Yeah, I guess I already figured that because you know, having read a lot of science fiction and and uh, and fantasy and stuff, and and having listened to conspiracy shows just because I find them entertaining, etc. Uh, I feel like the government is always doing R and D and stuff uh, and and sort of uh, experimentation and and uh, extra security and uh, you know spying or experimenting even on its own population in limited amounts has been doing that forever. That's that's how I feel. It doesn't mean that it's a good thing. I don't think it is. Um, I thought it was a really good documentary. I would recommend it to people. Uh, I think that they they used uh, a little bit too much Nine Inch Nails music in the background to make it always <laughs> seem like everything was suspenseful and about to be on the edge of collapse. But you know, I mean, that's the whole point of the movie was to like get you off kilter and 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 be like, well, this is. This is crazy. Why is this happening? Why is this happening? <laughs> now, the drone in the background was something a little odd for me, but uh, was the the drone on purpose? Yes, uh, but but it definitely um, was a, a good documentary, and it was one that is important. Whether or not you think that Edward Snowden is right or or did good by his family and and the United States. Uh, it's important that everyone know that this is going on. So it's it's good in the long run that that information was leaked. I agree. It definitely is important. So, um, you know, what did he release, right? So he had all this stuff. Obviously, some of what he had could could is going to be very damaging to certain people, whether it be people in positions of power or people who are undercover. Um, so in the documentary, you learn that when he is releasing documents, he's carefully picking them. He's deciding what he's going to release so that it can be things that are relevant, things that are going to be 
make a big splash and things that are not going to hurt anybody um, who shouldn't be hurt. You know, they're not going to out uh, an undercover CIA agent uh, just because they're releasing all kinds of documents. They're going to instead maybe out a, a leader in a certain department for you know, letting these programs go on. Well, perhaps. It is a little messy, for it's example. Not, it's not people who are guilty. It's people who they think are guilty. It's a little messy, for example, that Snowden didn't really actually take the time to, to, to look at what was in all those documents that he took and then suddenly just gave them to journalists. I mean, I he, he definitely had a lot of trust in those people to not leak the things that were important. And uh, some of those things that were confidential probably didn't have a complete... 100% to do with exactly what we're talking about here. If you steal thousands of documents, and yes, it was stealing, whether or not you think it was a good thing. It was, absolutely. It, it is not a good thing to take all of those and just give them to someone else that is totally outside of the government. That is, in and of itself, a bad thing. I think he maybe could have figured out a better way to do it. It seemed like there was a little bit in there about him wanting to sort of be a person that is sort of well-known as having done this. Um, but it didn't seem like he was doing it because he was wanting to be famous. I, he wanted to, it, it seemed to me that he wanted to, uh, show that it's okay to do this sort of thing, uh, you know, to put your face on it, uh, to, to own it essentially. Well, because someone of, has that, to own that the, sort of thing. That's really what the journalists sort of impressed upon him. Well, uh, like but, you said at the beginning, he doesn't know much about media. But, I mean, he does have to own it. It makes it more impactful. Of course he knows about media. He knew exactly what he was doing. You go to the media with this information. Now, again, I'm not saying it's a bad thing because it ultimately is a good thing. But it could have been a lot worse because you don't know what was in all of that information that he took and just gave away to journalists. I believe that most of it is still unreleased. Uh, understood. And he didn't go through all of that information before he gave it away oh, to someone. You can't, you can't go through all of it. My the point. The United States think there was 1.7 million documents taken. This is what I'm saying. Yeah. So I think this this whole thing... I don't know. Like I have very mixed feelings about it. I think that ultimately it's a good. However, uh, how he went about it was terrible and wrong. You can't just steal things from a place that you work at, and and certainly if you're going to, you could probably have have uh, maybe uh, gone about it in a better way. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it, it's clear that he the way he went about it was uh, to protect himself. You know, he went to Hong Kong and he gave it to journalists like immediately uh, so that the journalists couldn't really be in trouble for it and it was only going to be on him. I like the whole thing. I, I paid attention to it back when it was happening. And yeah, I yeah, me too. It still is sort of happening. And like they said in the in the documentary, it's kind of like a like a weird spy movie. And this guy uh, has characteristics that make people like me like him because he's kind of a, you know, just a... Uh, a regular, a regular-looking guy that sort of is into computers and stumbled across this naturally. But I don't know that that's true. I mean, he was he was involved in this sort of stuff for years his, and years. He comes from a military family. But what's interesting, from what I could gather in my research on him, he does he did not like like graduate from high school or college. It seems like he sort of got into this uh, because of connections, and then uh, he was a smart guy. He's not. Well, yes, yes, he got into. He got into certain programs because he's very smart. The the documentary is interesting him. to me because it is actually him and it's actually the reporters and that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do find things a little wacky and you kind of get the character of, of who this guy is when he's you know like operating a computer with a hood over his head and disconnecting the phone because he's totally paranoid. Uh, and and well, like you said, one of the things that 
they can do is turn on a VoIP phone. Sure. Uh, I mean, you can do all sorts of things, especially if you're the United States government, who's one of the most powerful in the world. But it it doesn't mean that they know where he is. And if they knew where he was, they would have just gone in there. Um, So I don't really... They didn't have much jurisdiction. They needed Hong Kong to go in there and get him. And Hong Kong didn't want to touch that. Jurisdiction is... I mean, that's... (laughs) Is relative. Well, here's one of the the weird uh, ways that this wound up. So he winds up getting stuck in Russia, right? But what's interesting is... 40 days, yeah, at the uh, No, he's still in station. Russia. No, no, I mean... But he, yeah, he spent a long time at the In Moscow airport. before he was even able to come out of there, yeah. Right. So, um, you know, one of the things he's quoted as saying is that if they would have let me go to Cuba and then to South America, the CIA has such a presence down there, they could have just killed him quietly or captured him somehow. Well, they could kill but him But instead, right they now. leave him in Russia where they have very little influence right now. It, it doesn't matter. They could kill him right now. They, they could get a Russian to do it, They're probably. not going to kill him. He's now a figurehead for all of this and all of what it represents. True. So it doesn't matter. He's not connected to this anymore. He can't steal more information. The information's already out there. So, right. I mean, he, now he's just being paranoid. Like, Well, if he comes home, he's going to be, like, you know... Indicted. He's probably going to jail for 30 years or life. But that makes sense to me. I mean, he did this. He took the risk. Uh, it's going to be something that goes down in history as a, a large part of this information age and what it means to governments and people. I don't know. I think that it's an example of completely failing a whistleblower. I think that it, someone as a whistleblower who is trying to uh, go through the official channels to report that there's problems and is unable to, and you know, he didn't do it in the best fashion. I'll agree with that. But he went through his own channels when he had no choice. Uh, to blow the whistle on a colossal amount of information, maybe he blew the whistle on too many things. I, uh, th- first of all, I don't think there is a proper channel that whistleblowers can go through because someone is going to stop them before they get there. Okay, well then what should whistleblowers do when they when something is truly wrong? If if you are really in this sort of situation and you want to you know be all Edward Snowden about it, then I guess that's the only thing that you can do is sort of sacrifice yourself and put yourself up there on the cross uh, in order to get the information out. But, what but he whatever... took too much information. You must agree with me. It's so too much. It's So if he were to just blow the whistle on one of the things, like if all he was going to release was information about all the drone strikes, yeah. like you think that he would have had a reasonable chance to come back and be considered a whistleblower and not a traitor? Yes. Interesting. But I, I still don't actually think that whistleblowers can really blow whistles safely and legally. So that that's well, legally speaking, they should be they should be afforded of some course, protection. Of course, there there are technically internal ways to blow whistles, but I don't think that they really exist. So then people need to go to outside results of other measures. Look, there, there's no way to actually do this correctly because there's this isn't a correct procedure. This this isn't on the books. No one's written this down. Yeah. There's there's not a thing to do in this case. So, like I said, I think it's ultimately good, but but like you said, I mean, he stole a lot of stuff. That is more than just, like, blowing the whistle. That's like, you know, stealing a missile. You know what I mean? Like, there's a little bit more there involved than, than what we see on the documentary, for example. But I must continue to say, I, I thought it was a really good documentary. I think Snowden has uh, good things in, in heart, uh, in mind, uh, and I think the journalists handled it really well from what I could see. Although it was funny uh, watching the documentary and you see the guy from The Guardian come in who had no idea who he was. I'm like, what? Is, like Nobody briefed him? There was no summary? Like, right. What, you just come in here and you're like, who My are you? My name is Ed. It doesn't make any sense. 
That's kind of well. Although well, I it was su- all kind of last minute, like clandestine shit. I suppose maybe he couldn't know because if he did, then he could have told someone else. But they should have brought him in with like a bag over his head. <laughs> He's like, "Here's the guy from the Guardian." All right, now you don't know where you are, but this guy is important. <laughs> Here's why. Uh, but but yeah, so I. I, I think it's it's good. I think the government shouldn't be doing these sorts of things, but know that they are everywhere all the time. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like they've stopped all efforts to do this kind of stuff just because people know about it. Um, I mean, heck, the, one of the cool things about technology is that it's always more advanced than you think it is because we are not the people that see the stuff that's that's in R&D. We're the people that see the stuff 10 years later. Exactly. So whatever is happening now in the NSA is already more advanced than anything that those people were working with. They may be able to be gathering all this information without anybody being able to de- detect it. I assume. They may, they may come out tomorrow and say, we're sorry, guys, we're going to stop all the data collecting programs that you know about. <laughs> I assume, honestly, that the all the work that they're striving towards is to create like a like a transparent architecture underneath the existing one that is impossible to detect. That would make it's, sense. It's spider webs in a in a crazy like I want to rule the world kind of way. It's the government. All governments want to rule the world. I'm not saying they don't. I'm not <laughs> saying they shouldn't want to rule the world. Yes. Uh, so. One of the things that I learned just today in doing my final research was that uh, the Wikimedia Foundation, uh, the they're basically the foundation that looks out for Wikipedia and WikiLeaks and those sorts of, uh, that collection of websites, uh, are suing the NSA and the DOJ uh, regarding the NSA's uh, vast surveillance of the American people. Sure. Uh, so um, just to kind of... Uh, Oh, I'm sorry, it wasn't WikiLeaks. It is Wikipedia, though. Basically the greatest website ever. <laughs> uh, so uh, this lawsuit, what does it challenge? So quoting from the uh, blog that announced it. So the, log- the lawsuit challenges the NSA's unfounded large-scale search and seizure of Internet communications, frequently referred to as upstream surveillance. Using upstream surveillance, the NSA intercepts virtually all internet communications flowing across the network of high-capacity cables, switches, and routers, and it's basically the internet's backbone. It connects the Wikimedia global community of readers and contributors to Wikipedia to all the other projects. So basically, what they're saying is, hey, you're spying on us specifically, and it's not okay. You have no reason to be spying on us. Uh, That's the basis of uh, their lawsuit. Does, Does this matter? Do you think this will actually go to a court and, and something will happen with it? I don't think that they'll uh, like win a lawsuit against the NSA, no. But in a lot of broad senses, like it's good to at least bring attention to this. Wikipedia reaches millions of people every day. You know, I think that you know when when they're having fundraisers and stuff, people always know about it. They put the banner on the front page. They could do something similar with this. Yeah, they can fund them. They can have lawyers. It just seems like something that will be tied up forever. But it is a, is a grand gesture. I think it's a, it's a good one. Um, and Wikipedia being like the uh, modern equivalent of, of knowledge, of encyclopedias, you know, digital knowledge, uh, all contained within Wikipedia, which is, yeah, a great company that's publicly funded. Yeah. Um, pretty fantastic. Going after the NSA as a sort of a token of acknowledgement of, of how... Um, Edward Snowden was right and the things that he came out with were right so if Wikipedia had like a secret base on the moon then Edward Snowden could probably go there 
Oh, I'm sure they would welcome him with open arms. He could hang out there. Yeah. You know, and like with the superheroes and stuff. Maybe we need Elon Musk to build Wikipedia something. Yes. <laughs> and Julian Assange, he's like uh, operating the computer systems uh, on the moon, you know, at the Wikipedia Foundation. Yeah. Anyway, um, so, so you think this will probably be tied up for a long time um or will it be one of those things that actually does go to like the supreme court or... well they are um they, they they do have they are represented by the aclu so they're serious about this it would seem i don't know that you know they have any reasonable expectations to take it to the supreme court or anything like that yeah but at the same time uh, i'm glad that they're doing something yeah, I guess. Well, I think that's a lot of people's opinions is that, well, the gears should be moving. I just don't know that they're going to do, going to end up anywhere. You know what I mean? Uh, but it's better to to know this information and to sort of uh, uh, express it to the people that live in the United States and to get our opinions out and discuss it than, than just to not know about it and have this giant cloak and veil of secrecy. Yeah. Um, although I must say in, in, in my own opinion of of things anyway um i'm not exactly sure what the government's intentions were and i don't necessarily think they were malicious intent i think it was just uh someone along the line uh decided that things were getting so bad that they needed to find all the information they possibly could and uh devil may care you know and i think that was the wrong way to go but it makes sense to me, uh, especially in an organization that's as clandestine, you know, as like the CIA or the NSA, where they thought maybe they could keep it under wraps. One of the interesting things about some of Snowden's things that he leaked were a lot of the, the papers that were explaining the hierarchy of decision making for a lot of this stuff and how it goes, you know, blah, 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 all the way up to the president. Mm-hmm. And so you assume that the president knows about this stuff because, yes, he does. And he sits there and lies to us all the time about it. Yep. That's what makes me mad. <laughs> I mean, if people would just tell the truth, when things come out in the open, the government just blatantly denies everything still. Yeah, and repeatedly and endlessly. And you know, what? one of the funny things is, is after all these documents came out, a lot of the companies refuted it as well. Mm-hmm. You know, companies like Google, Google said no, and Apple said no. Right, and, all these companies said that they weren't doing that. But but that's what companies do is is they have a process in place to deny until they can't deny and then admit with humility. And it's the same thing as like a celebrity who uh, denies that they have a problem uh, with a drug addiction or alcohol addiction, and then as soon as the problem comes out in the open, all they have to do is go to rehab for six months and come back, and then they become you know the darling of uh, of everyone, <laughs> right? It's the same thing. So the government, like uh, whether the or government not, needs to go to rehab, well, well, I mean, it's going to data collection they, rehab. They, they probably sort of just threw everything under the bus, right? They're like, NSA, this organization is bad, needs to be cleaned out, making bad decisions. Obviously, this is, there's trouble here. Yeah. And then, okay, we're good Well, now. they haven't said that, but, I mean, it would be interesting to see them go cold turkey. We're A-OK. Like, we're, we're going to cut everything off. We're going to start over. Uh, well, I mean, it can't happen. <laughs> no, it can't. Just like the internet, you can't un- Just like drones, you can't uninvent them. And they already have a network in place, so I don't care if they tell you you're shutting it down. Someone is operating it. There's just a new clandestine organization that we don't know about yet. Yeah, there's the CIA that hasn't been invented just yet. Yeah. Um, so one of the things you were saying about how you're not so certainly sure if it was all... Uh, if it, was, it's, it wasn't necessarily done for a bad reason, is what you're saying. 
collecting all that data by well, the Well, I sort of believe that this guy saw this this stuff and, and said, "Well, someone needs to know about it." But right. I think I think that it uh, it builds up higher than that. And I don't know that it's he's I mean, yeah, it's definitely not it's definitely something that he wanted to make sure everyone was aware of. Um but the Wikipedia uh lawsuit on their Q&A, they have a good point about why it's important to ensure the anonymity of these people. Uh, you know, they say Privacy is a core value of the Wikimedia movement. From the beginning, Wikipedia allowed users to maintain private identities through the use of anonymous and pseudonymous, uh, pseudo-anonymous editing. The, this has been reinforced by their firm commitment to protecting privacy and the data of its users through legal and technical means. Uh, so they want to make the freedom of expression possible. In order to do that, you have to ensure that people can remain private. Uh, and that's something that, you know, if, if everyone knows that Wikipedia is being spied upon, then it could discourage, you know, people in other countries from editing Wikipedia pages about ongoing events uh, in their country, stuff like that. You know, it, it could it could just trickle down the line. Of course. We, we don't uh, we don't want to be looked upon while we're, we're doing things in private. Everyone has, uh, you know, things that that are not like I said. Um, they're not something that you would tell someone that you just met. Now, whether or not that's you working for the resistance in Egypt or, um, or you know, just some, some bad personality trait about you that you don't want people to know that you're searching about on the Internet. Um, there, there are things that, that should be left private. And I think we, we all agree then that um, if the Internet is making that not possible, that we need to have better alternatives at the very least. And just so people know, there, there are secure browsers that you can use. Um, I think the, the best one at the moment is, is called uh, Komodo Dragon. And Komodo Dragon is available, I believe, on desktop and on mobile. And what it sort of is based on is uh, Chromium, which is the open source code that Chrome is based on. Okay. But the whole browser is built so that it is completely private, doesn't pass any data packets anywhere. Again, you don't necessarily want to use this kind of browser if you're browsing the internet because it may not be the best experience for you. Right. However, if you are really looking for privacy, you can use um, this kind of browser. You can you know, create your own mail server you can almost disconnect yourself entirely but at some point i mean there's things that you can't control so it's it comes down to whether or not you really want to be part of this like digital age you know say you have how a, much of a part of it you want to be yeah i mean are you going to be carrying around your phone in foil so that like the the data packets can't uh escape it or be right. transmitted you, you to take it? the battery out unless you're using it Heck, even if you take the battery out, there could be some residual charge or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, that's like that's uh, Snowden mania, you know. Uh, well, but, you know what's funny is he that guy he had covers, something to be paranoid about. He, that's true. <laughs> Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean you're wrong, right? But he he covers up uh, because or unplugs the uh, the VoIP phone because they might listen. You you probably know at least a couple people who put a post-it note over the uh, ca- camera on their laptop. Mine's on right now. Your camera's on? Well, see, I actually, my laptop has a switch that goes off and on. Okay. So I don't need to put a post-it note on it. Okay. But I've never actually, the thought it was really... That piece of plastic is secretly transparent from the, the other side. The thought really hasn't <laughs> crossed my mind of someone, like, like investigating me across the internet. 
Um, yeah, I know personally, like for example, uh, back when I was in high school, there was this piece of software that you could install on someone else's computer and that would allow you to control that computer remotely. So you could uh, send messages, you could open the CD-ROM drive, you could do all sorts of things. You remember what that uh, software was called? Oh, it was something on the Mac, wasn't it? Was, it? No, it was on the PCs. Uh, oh. the, the Mac stuff didn't generally go... Oh, I thought it was something goofy that went around that like way. the... Uh, the computer labs. No, that's something I put on there uh, on the computers so that if people <laughs> talk too loudly, then Arnold Schwarzenegger from SNL told them to shut up. Shut up. Uh, be quiet. Uh, but regardless, I'm talking about back orifice. And, oh, yeah. And so that's the server and client application. And so that is like very, very primitive technology compared to the stuff they have now, especially because you can insert that kind of server uh, uh technology uh as far as an application onto other people's computers without having to actually go to them and install them you know you can do it from a web page from from a script you can do it from an email you can do it from lots of different ways uh-huh. uh, some of them transparent to even those power users of computers so technically if the government wanted to it could send something out probably without anyone knowing and have it on all of our computers now, i'm not saying that that's happening but what I am saying... Or it's already happened. What I am saying is that, yes, you know, sometimes the whistle blows, right, in, in Edward Snowden's case, uh, many times. But I don't think we can sort of stop this, this movement of things. Uh, I don't know exactly how we would. So it's important that we all have this discussion all the time and, and try to keep up on the information that presents itself and keep up to date and be proactive. Yeah, I agree with you. We can't... If we can't stop it, then the next best thing we can do is all be well educated about it to know what we can do to, you know, make the, the informed decisions that we want to make. Great. So all you have to do is make the American public educated. Oh, that's not uh, <laughs> that's easy, right? Super easy. It's not at all an incredibly daunting task. Education is not a problem in this country. It's it's everyone is is completely completely We're the smartest country in the world. Yes. We're, we're America. We're obviously geniuses here in America. Oh boy. <laughs> All right, Dave. I had a good time talking about the internet with you. Yeah, it was fun. So next week we'll be back um and we're going to talk about who knows what. We'll talk about something interesting though. Um so thanks for joining us all. Uh this was the Retrospectable Podcast on the Drink 5 Network, Internet Privacy. <laughs>